The world is like a ride at an amusement park, and when you choose to go on it, you think it's real, because that's how powerful our minds are. I can tell you from experience, the effect you have on others is the most valuable currency there is. Don't think, feel. It is like a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger, or you will miss all that heavenly glory. You take the red pill, you stay in Wonderland, and I show you how deep the rabbit hole goes. And welcome back to the Nicholas Gregoratis Show. I am your host, Nicholas Gregoratis. Today's guest is a spiritual teacher who underwent a powerful transformation when a series of life events took him right to the point, to the brink of suicide. And after discovering these truths about the nature of reality and the nature of God and existence, he was able to turn his life around. And I really enjoyed this conversation. I thought it was a lot of fun and also quite illuminating. And I think you guys are going to get a lot out of it, especially if that's your jam, like the woo stuff. If that's your jam, you're going to enjoy this one a lot. Before we get into the conversation, I just want to let you know about a couple of projects and things surrounding the show. The first is one of my guests, Jeff Boehner, who I'm sure you uh, remember from his talk about the Sultan's Seven Secrets or our discussion about the Sultan's Seven Secrets, which is the name of his book. And I told him, we basically cut a deal. I said, if you teach me how the system works and guide me through it and I get results, I will help promote it on my show. And I've been getting some pretty great results using what he's been teaching me. So full transparency, we have this agreement, no money has changed hands and there's no affiliate sales system or commission or any of that bullshit. I'm just sincerely sharing with you that what he's been teaching me regarding the system has been working. And I urge you to read his book and try it for yourself. You've got nothing to lose. I think the book is maybe 20 bucks on Amazon. So head on over to Amazon if you're interested in this kind of stuff and read The Sultan's Seven Secrets. And see if uh, Jeff's message and his system resonates with you. And if it does, give it a go. And I think you'll be really impressed with the results. You'll be hearing more from me about what Jeff does over the upcoming episodes. Also, I want to remind you guys that I have a retreat happening in Northern California from the 14th to the 18th of November. This is something that's very close to my heart and I'm very excited to share with you guys. So I've basically created a jujitsu slash well-being retreat for those five days. Now, it's taking place at a venue called the Grapplers Retreat, which is one of my favorite places in the world. I've taught there many times. It's actually owned by one of my best friends. And it's in this literally idyllic spot in nature. It's in a a beautiful part of Northern California. I think it's one of the most beautiful parts of North America in the secluded compound in the Redwoods. It's about a mile away from some of the most beautiful coastline and beaches you've ever seen. And it's just a really special place. So what's going to be happening is I once asked the question, I was talking to my brother about this and I said to him, how good do you think, or how much do you think you could improve your jiu-jitsu if you devoted a, a solid week to it? with no distractions. And we debated back and forth on that point. And through experience of teaching retreats, I've realized that you can become much better over the course of a week. You really can. So I've combined that ethos, which is this jujitsu intensive with another one of my, my passions and also areas of expertise, which is wellness. So I'm someone who, I was not the healthiest kid, You know, I had a couple of challenges when I was young. I remember being sick quite often, quite weak, to be honest. I I guess you could say I was a weak and sickly kid for the first few years of my life. And so that instilled in me a very deep reverence and respect and desire for health and wellness. And I can say to you guys in all honesty that I found health and wellness through a lot of trial and error, a lot of experimentation, a lot of study. And today at 43 years old, I'm the healthiest I've ever been. When I go and have any sort of checkup done, you know, the doctors are always impressed by my levels. I have literally perfect health. 
if I could point to one thing that is maybe not great, it's that my lower back is quite tight, especially after jiu-jitsu training. And I think that's just a function of age and also the nature of having done jiu-jitsu for almost 25 years. But besides that, I'm in absolutely perfect health. All my blood levels are great. My vitals are all perfect. I have a very low resting heart rate. And I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this because I believe when anyone is trying to share something with you, you should first check the messenger. Is he a paragon of what he's trying to to get across to you? So what I've done is I've created this retreat for five days, which is a combination of intensive jiu-jitsu training, using some of the the best stuff I've ever learned in my jiu-jitsu journey, and also a bunch of modules that are designed to help you become happier, healthier, and just the best version of yourself. So each day there's going to be two chunks or there's going to be a morning session and an evening session. One will be something that focuses on jujitsu and the second one will be a well-being module. And these well-being modules will include breath work. They'll include a mobility component that'll help you become mobile and supple. There'll be a meditation component. I'll show you guys what I've learned about meditation. And there'll be a host of other cool things. There's some stress management stuff I've been I've been working on. There's a, a morning ritual or a morning routine that I'm going to share with you guys or with the attendees. So basically, if you choose to attend this, it's going to be something that really upgrades you on every level. But it's also going to be very relaxing. And I don't want to say luxury because it's not going to be like incredibly luxurious, like going to a five-star hotel. But the rooms are wonderful. They're clean. They're comfortable. There's a hot tub. The food is next level. It it really is going to be the best food you've had in a long time. Alex prides himself on making sure that the meals that they prepare at Grappler's Retreat are just second to none. So you're going to have this massive upgrade in your jiu-jitsu, in your quality of life, and you're going to have a fun week meeting cool people, staying in a beautiful, idyllic, natural resort. And uh, if you choose to come, I guarantee it's going to be one of the best decisions you ever make. If you want to find out more about that and book your place, please go to coachnickg.com forward slash retreat. And that is coach Nick without a K. So it's coachnick.com forward slash retreat. So I really hope to see you guys there. And I'll be talking more about the retreat in the upcoming weeks as well. And uh, without further ado, let's dive into the episode with. D. Neil Elliott. Enjoy, guys. Hey, everyone. Please welcome to the show Mr. D. Neil Elliott. He is an author and a speaker. And from the little I know about him, he sounds like someone who is right up my street. Uh, Neil, you're the author of your, your latest book is A Higher Road, Cleanse Your Consciousness to Transcend the Ego and Ascend Spiritually. Now that, Matt, that is, that's my jam. <laughs> so I'm very excited to speak to you about that. Oh, that's great. And uh, Nick, it's a pleasure to be here. Yeah, it, it's so great to have you. You know, um, well, I, I was thinking earlier today about how I was, which direction I was going to take this, this show in. And I, I thought I'd share with you something that I've been doing lately that's had a, profound, a profoundly positive effect on me in, in many ways. I wouldn't say I'm someone who holds grudges a lot, but there's a couple of relationships I had over the last couple of years, which ended pretty badly. And I created several stories or narratives around these relationships. And I found that very often my mind naturally has a tendency to move towards or to start talking about these stories. And that involves mentally chastising the other person or sometimes to be brutally honest, wishing them ill which I'm, I'm not proud of. It's just, I, I noticed the mechanism of the mind doing that. And when it comes to uh, understanding of the mind, I, I wouldn't say I'm an expert, but I'm not a chump either. I understand the, the mechanism of the ego and how the, the monkey mind is this constant chattering, never ending machine and how it has a function, which is to differentiate us or individuate us from the world and, and ultimately keep us safe. And so even knowing that, try as I might, this thing, this thing has had me in its grip. That's the honest truth. And recently I, I stumbled upon an affirmation, which is I am infinite love and gratitude. And 
for the last week or so, every time one of these negative thoughts pops into my mind, I've just been saying, I am infinite love and gratitude. I've been replacing the thought with that. I'm infinite love and gratitude. And I have definitely noticed things have start, started to shift. And I just, I don't know how, but I'm pretty sure it's tied in with what you're going to start telling me your book is about. I just have a feeling it's, there's a lot of overlap there. So maybe we can start there. Okay. Well, um, and you're not alone in uh, succumbing to the egoic mind. So, you know, this is just part of the process. So we can talk about a lot of things. And uh, so let me give everybody a little bit of context in terms of how this happened for me. And then we get into some of those details that might be helpful for people. Yeah. So, so I was born in 1960 and I'm a professional engineer and I have an MBA and I've worked in the corporate world for, you know, over 34 years uh, as an engineer and as a project manager, uh, second marriage, three kids, five grandkids are all Texans. And from 2002 to 2015, I slowly drove myself into this really deep and dark, despondent, uh, depression. And we're all great actors in our environment. We wear this facade, we can project whatever we want to family, friends, clients. So no one, no one knew I was there. And I thought I need to do something to get out of this funk. I tried this in the 90s and it didn't work. So I picked up, I tried it again. So I picked up some scientific books, I picked up some spiritual books, and I spent a couple of years studying all these great things and all these processes and concepts. And um, our house had been on the market for five years and it finally sold. And uh, my, it was late November, 2017. So I was 57. And my wife got on a plane. She went to Toronto, Ontario, Canada to visit family and friends. And I, we were in this little one bedroom rental apartment in the city. I sat down at the kitchen table. I planned out my suicide. I crafted my suicide note. And I was planning it out for about three months to ensure that my wife would be financially okay and I could say goodbye to family and friends without them knowing what I was going to do. And uh, about a week prior to that, some information came to me in this fortuitous fashion that promised to liberate me from my thinking if I studied and I followed it. So I embarked on this process. I was looking for any little glimmer of hope to keep going. You know, I grew up agnostic, but I felt like if I commit suicide, I'm going to be in a, I might end up in a really bad place. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so I thought, I thought, okay, well, I'll hang on. But I was totally done with life. Like, you know, life would, for me, life was a misery. I made a lot of money. I spent a lot of money. You know, when we traveled, we had a good time. But day-to-day life was just a misery. I was just, I was done with it. It seemed like, why would I want to go on for another 10, 15, 20, 30 years in this miserable state? So I started to study this information. And uh, a year later, November of 2018, a year later, I woke up, my depression was totally gone. I was just, I was full of this inner love and peace and joy. And I felt totally prosperous and abundant and nothing in my external environment had changed. And in late December, 2018, I I went into these two meditations. And as you go through these meditations, you go into this higher vibrational state of consciousness. And the spiritual energy uh, flowed in through my head, it filled my body, and then it just totally engulfed me. It's like I was suspended in a swimming pool, totally engulfed me in this unconditional love. And it's an unconditional love that we can't describe, we don't have the human language to describe it, but I felt totally supported. I felt um, non-judged for no matter what I had done in the past, not judged. I didn't care what anybody had done to me. I didn't care what I had done to anybody. I didn't care what pains and aches my body had or what illnesses it had. I just wanted to stay in that state forever. And I came out of that meditation. Two days later, I had the exact same meditation. And at that point, I knew that the new knowledge I gained and the process I followed is our truth. And then um, it's just been this ever evolving, deepening, spiritual awakening and insight and knowledge since that time. And it just keeps getting better and better and better. And when I had those two meditations, I wanted to share this with everybody, you know, get on the rooftops and shout it like everybody needs to know about this. And I thought I'd be looked at like an idiot if I do that. So um, I thought, okay, well, I won't do that. And uh, it took me a couple of years to figure out the best way to do it is to write a book. 
So I wrote a book and I share very candidly, I'm a private person, but I share very candidly for a reason that every event and every experience that comes into our life, we have manifested it. You are totally responsible for everything that comes into your life, be it something that you love or merely endure or hate. And when you understand the mechanics of the universe uh, based in science, the mechanics of the universe, and then you understand these new concepts and this new knowledge, you can, you can bridge this gap between spirituality and science that will take you into this place that you can never would have imagined possible. And it is just, it is totally magnificent and wonderful. And so I want to, so I've written this book to share exactly the process I've gone through, the material I use to do it. And it's really, you read a higher road cover to cover. Uh, if it resonates with you, then you, you know, go back and start with some of the science material or directly with step one. If it doesn't resonate with you, either put it on their shelf to read 5, 10, 15 years in the future or give it to somebody else without colorful commentary and let them discover for themselves whether it works for them. Because if it works for them, it may be the biggest gift that you give ever give anybody because you can totally transform their life. You can't, but you can give them the information that will enable them to. So, okay, sign me up. I'm sold. <laughs> uh, I'm, all, I'm all about like, I mean, you know, I say, I say on my show and I, I say to the people who follow me, like, I, I'm a total believer that everything is energy. And I, I know that's been co-opted by a lot of spiritually bankrupt new age people. And it's, it's been devalued that understanding, but I really do think that, you know, we all come from the source and we're all connected in some way. This is this gigantic web of energy that we're all a part of. We're all these individual manifestations of the source energy and keeping that in mind. Like I, I really am constantly trying to raise my frequency, right? Whether it's through nutrition or meditation or diet or self-reflection or dealing with my own traumas or whatever it might be. And it sounds like you found a way to do that as well. It sounds like you found a very methodical way or repeatable, more scientific manner of doing that, which I've, I've experienced states kind of like what you're describing, but only briefly. And it's usually with the assistance of some sort of psychedelic or it's in times of, of great personal stress where you just, you go so like you're so stressed you just have to go to another level to get to get some relief you know so i i, I guess neil the first thing i'd like to ask you is where did you you said this information started coming to you or, or it came to you and then you followed a process right but this is before you wrote your book obviously so and then you you refined it and you packaged it in this book but i, I would like to know where the raw information came from uh so I don't share that with anybody because the and the reason i don't do this is because what I want is I want people to come to this information with a really open mind and to be uh, curious, uh, like a little child, full of wonder, full of joy, full of curiosity, and no preconceived notions. And the process I followed was uh, there was a foundation. So I look back now and say, and I share all of this in a higher world, this process. But when I look back now, some of the, the science books I read was laying this foundation to open me up to receive this new information that I received. And if you read A Higher Road, I tell you how to get to this information, you get it for free. But what I want people to do is go through the same process I did or offer the same process I did so that they're not jumping to this material right away because the material is positioned in such a way that if I had seen that a year earlier, I would have run from it. It is presented in such a way that would turn a lot of people off and i want to and i want you i want the reader to be as open as as open as they can possibly be through this this foundation that was laid for me if it works for the reader then that's great it will help them get to a point where when i introduce this other information that they won't run from it and they'll be curious about it okay so let's talk about some of the mechanisms cuz you're already you know in this awaken the state. <laughs> so let's, yeah. let's, so, so let's jump right to some of the, some of the things. So yeah. Yeah. Uh, we'll talk about, let's talk about energy and then we'll talk about ego. Okay. So we know at a subatomic level 
that everything is just energy. So science believes there was a big bang. Out of that big bang came the material universe. They don't know of what the big bang was from, but they know that out of that big bang came the material universe and came electromagnetism. And then they believe that uh, in a random fashion that this energy fused to create elements, that these elements randomly got together to create the first living molecule. The first living molecules randomly got together to, to create the first living cell. And over billions of years, we have what we see today in all okay. of the various sundry items, right? So the question becomes, when did consciousness first creep into the living matter? So if we look at this from a, a cellular perspective, so, you know, sperm fertilizes ovum, you get one cell that divides into two, that divides into four and so on. And it builds this intricate body over a nine month period, uh, which it has over 50 trillion cells in the body and it's born now. So the baby's born. So one thing we know in science today is that every cell has the library of information for the entire body. The only difference between a skin cell and a, a liver cell is the work that it does. So uh, these cells, they harmoniously get together to build a liver and uh, they work in harmony. They never intrude on each other's work. They don't suddenly spring in to make an ear while they're making this liver. They build and they maintain this liver over a lifetime. And there's more harmony in our body with our cells than there is you know, when people work together jointly on a project. And so if we look at one cell, one cell has a, a permeable membrane around it. That membrane gives it individuality and also gives it protection. And the cell can discern the right nutrition that's going to be health, healthy for it and helpful to it. So it, it takes it in through this permeable membrane and it discerns when there's a buildup of toxic waste and it ejects it outside the membrane. So that's the first act of consciousness. And I think most scientists would have to you know, agree that that's an act of consciousness. So if there's consciousness in a cell, then the question becomes, why wouldn't there be consciousness in the uh, living molecules that got together to form a cell? And if there's consciousness in the living molecules that got together to form a cell, why wouldn't there be consciousness in the elements that got together to form the first living molecule? And if there's consciousness in the elements, why wouldn't there be consciousness in the energy that fused, that, that formed into particles, and then that fused to create the first living elements? And so the question is, when did consciousness first creep into living matter? And I can tell you that everything that you see, touch, feel, know, think is real, think is solid, is just energy, and that everything that you see is is consciousness made visible through the descent of vibrational frequency of electrical particles and when you can go through to understand this at a at a at a basic level you will understand it intellectually but it hasn't yet seeped into your subconscious mind and into your um, uh, consciousness at a at a depth of level so what what you're going to do is you're going to learn a process where this uh, information, uh, and you're going to learn so much when you go through the seven steps, this information will, will explain everything in such a rational, logical way that um, it's believable. And over time, what will happen is that as you understand these things and you get these concepts, you will eventually, through this process of cleansing your consciousness and then rebuilding your consciousness, which gets at this programmed consciousness that you have programmed in your subconscious and unconscious mind since babyhood uh, to adulthood. You get at it, you break it up, you dissolve it, and you rebuild it so that it is consistent to from where we come from and to where we return. We come from unconditional love, we return to unconditional love, and the ego is a divinely ordained tool to create individuality out of the unity and the wholeness of the divine to enable the soul to learn the lessons that it wants to learn, that it needs to learn 
over many lifetimes where it comes here to this school we call earth uh, where you're born into varying genders varying places of origin varying colors of skin sometimes religious sometimes not religious at all sometimes wealthy sometimes poor and all of these experiences are to enable the soul to learn the lessons it wants to learn to feel the things that are incongruent with unconditional love and this richness goes back to the divine when you leave this lifetime this body returns this ephemeral body returns to dust but the soul is infinite and eternal and goes back to be uh, unified with the divine but you're going through this process over many lifetimes to in order to transcend the ego while you are here in whichever lifetime that is in uh, so it's only through lessons of suffering will a journeying soul gain self-knowledge to retain individuality after discarding the ego so when you do that in whichever lifetime that is this body goes to dust your soul moves on and then it steps into the light and it will not need to be reincarnated again and this is a divinely ordained process and so we should talk a little bit about mechanics of the ego, but I need a little drink of water first. Well, there's, there's, I have many questions, many questions for you. So something I've been meditating on for a while now is organized religion is for a very long, for our entire history. It's the narrative has been that, that suffering is, is inherently virtuous and that it's something that should be, uh, welcomed and sometimes in, in some cases even sought out. And we actually see that in, in today's world, there's this, there's this life has become so comfortable. There's been this backlash against it. And some people actively seek suffering or, or they, they venerate suffering. And I'm wondering, is that the only way to learn lessons? Do you have to suffer? That's the first question. It's a two part question well i guess the other part is an observation which is that there are certain people who lead lives that contain relatively unbalanced relatively little suffering and are mostly joyful and actualized and fun and just enjoyable experiences and i just don't i guess maybe it's the it's the childlike part of me that doesn't want to let go of the the, the hope that you know, I've suffered a lot in my life, Neil. I've suffered a hell of a lot in my life. And I don't want to suffer anymore. I know, obviously, there's still suffering. Like, in the, as being a human, it's inevitable. You do have to suffer. There's just, it, there's no way out of it, right? But, like, you, you suffer when you, you're ill or you eventually die or you lose family members. These things are inevitable. But, but generally, outside of those things, I don't want to suffer anymore. I don't feel, I don't feel like it has redemptive value or teaching value. Like I, I feel like I can learn a lot just by being a part of the world and having fun and enjoying and being grateful and appreciative. Why, why is this such a complex question? I haven't worded it very well, but I, I think what it is, is, is why is suffering held up to be so virtuous when to me, it seems as, as if joy could, could be even, like the source could, could be gaining even more from us having joyful experiences than from us having suffering experiences. So it's a complicated, it's a, it's a, that's a very complicated question with a very complicated answer, but I don't know whether suffering is virtuous. I don't know whether I would describe it that way. So let's talk a little bit about the ego and then let's come back to this question. Okay. So your soul is here on this evolutionary process over many lifetimes at the time of conception of sperm and ovum. The soul infuses its past life experiences and a lesson plan, if you will, for this lifetime. If ego utilizes the mechanics of the universe, which is electromagnetism, we'll talk a little bit about that, but use these mechanics of the universe to construct the body according to the DNA plan in the sperm and the ovum. And as the baby grows from you know babyhood to age five, the brain has not yet developed to a place where it can make its own decisions. 
And so really this baby, if, especially if you're born into a, a family of means that can feed you and diaper you and look after you, um, you know, it's this little embodiment of joy. And really all these babies are, what these babies are is sponges. They're absorbing everything in their environment, their parents' attitudes and emotions and language and culture and religion or not religious, you know, all of these things. And what's happening is that you're starting to program your subconscious mind and shape and hone and hue your personality. And at age five, you are able to start to make your own decisions. So you've come in with some past stuff. You come in with a plan of things that you want to learn your soul does. And you're being shaped and honed and hue in this family. Your, your personality is being developed. And um, then you start making your own decisions. You go to school, you learn more, you get more experiences. As the baby grows from babyhood to adulthood, uh, we think we're becoming versed in the ways of the world, but really what we're doing is we're binding down our soul and we're shutting it off from the light, from the connection to source. And so uh, depending on your spiritual development, so, okay, we'll have to come back to that. So we... You know, we grow from babyhood to adulthood, we program our subconscious mind, and then our egoic behavior in life, a conscious decision, oh, this person's being mean to me, but I think I can get something out of this relationship. So I'm going to be nice to that person. But inside, you might be thinking, oh, this guy's a real jerk. And so you have this conflict of personality. And so everything that you think about will manifest in a uh, like event or experience at some point in your future and things that you do not deal with spiritually in this lifetime you will create mountains that you need to deal with in your next lifetime so we do this so what happens is the ego takes control as we're building this body we end up forgetting our roots we live in this duality of our soul is our reality and our ego is this tool or we identify with the body. This body is solid. It's fluid. All these objects around me, this cup, this lamp, this you know, table are all solid objects. But we know in science today, this, these are all just basically energy at a subatomic level. And so in order to for uh, the divine to experience these things that are contrary to unconditional love, to experience itself, its own creative power, limited. Humans have a very limited ability to create, but we have this creative power through our mind and our feelings to manifest these experiences in our life. And when we, our ego, we let our egos get in control of our life and utilize these mechanics of the universe, we will create things that we find joyful and that we like, and we will create these negative experiences as well. All of these are learning experiences. So we're like method actors. The ego is like the method actor. You know, you, you, before, you know, the, you're the, before you get on set to film, you dress the part, you eat the part, you play like the part, you know, doing this period piece to get really get into character. You get on film, the cameraman says action and, or the director calls action you get into the part, you, you do the part, the camera, the uh, director calls cut. The actors come out of that. They come back to who they are. They high five each other and goes, oh man, you know, you really did such a great job there. I really felt I was there in that period, you know. We identify with these bodies. We never come out of it until you begin this process to understand these things and then come out of it and realize your soul is your reality. This is merely a tool. This is merely. This is merely an, yeah, an avatar, a hologram, whatever you want to say. We're here on this process to have these varied experiences. So you, when we think about how somebody is in a lifetime, you know, so imagine your soul, you know, they're first incarnated, they dive into a yellow pool. They come out, they're educated in everything that's yellow. They're educated in, you know, to have ye uh, yellow lives. And then the next time they come here, so when they leave that lifetime, they have much in them that's yellow. The next time they dive into a red pool. So now they come out, they're educated to live red lives and, and uh, you know, educated in that. But it's, it's red mixed with the yellow. So that's the yellow starts to influence their red life. Then they jump into a blue pill and so on and so on and so on. So at the moment, there are people 
working in factories in China that produce a lot of the goods that we use in the United States or wherever we are in the Western world listening, wherever you may be listening to this, right? So for example, uh, I don't know, this plastic mouse that I'm, that I'm using to operate my computer. And there are people working in these factories. They're working 18-hour shifts or whatever it may be, right? They've got very, there's very little labor laws. A lot of them get sick because chemicals in whatever it is they're producing in that particular factory cause particular types of cancer. Uh, they, they see very little sunlight. They make very little money. They've got many mouths to feed. Their lives are just drudgerous and not filled with much joy at all, right? I just fail to see how that experience, that pool that they're diving into benefits the source in any way. So let me come back to that. Let me finish this little analogy for you and then I'll come back to that. So the next time you dive into this blue pool, then what happens is the soul finally wakes up. It understands what it starts, what it's doing to itself. And then it comes back into lifetimes to try and shed the blue, trying to shed the red, shed the green until it, it is shed all of the colors and it steps into the light. So we don't know. So you have to take your frame of reference off of one lifetime when you're thinking about any experience for anybody in this lifetime. And you, we don't know, we don't even know our own soul's progression and how many lifetimes we've had or not, or not had. And we certainly don't know anybody else's. So there will be some people that come here that maybe have shed virtually all of the colors and only have one or two to go. There will be some people that are in the beginning process where they are still adding colors to the mix. So all of these experiences are to create this richness. So see, the, the problem is that when you are in this duality, when you identify with the body and you identify that this is your reality, you get tied into the emotional responses that we feel in this human experience. And, and it's not like you should be numb to those, but we feel that these things, and you can't get out of that state where you start to look at it and you say, these are just actors. These are just actors playing a part and they're doing a darn good role at it, by the way. And so are you. <laughs> and so is everybody else. You know, we are so into the part. We are so into who we are and what we do on a day-to-day -day basis. We have totally forgot where we come from and what our truth and our reality is. And when you go through this process and you spend the time and you come to the state and it doesn't happen overnight, this is a, it's a, it's a slow process. It happened. These changes happen imperceptibly. You get to this point where when I see someone else, I see them as their soul. Their soul is perfect. Their soul is unconditional love. Their soul is equal to my soul. Infinite love and gratitude. Anything that they're displaying right now in this egoic process is merely their ego has control and their ego is creating these events and experiences for their lives and for themselves. And until they wake up and understand what they're doing, they won't take this inner journey. When you, all of the love, the peace, the joy, the security that you are seeking, it's all inside of you. What you see is merely a reflection of your beliefs. You change your beliefs, you change what you see, whether you're living on the street or you're living in a mansion. And whether you're living on the street or you're living in the slum and you have a miserable life, there are many wealthy people that have all the money in the world, but inside they are a mess. They are struggling just like everybody else. Money is not going to save them wealth and the security and the peace that they think they have can be taken away from them in a moment's notice. The love, the peace, the security that you are after, it is when you connect back to source, when your mind is created for the very special purpose to bring source down through your mind and let source do its will in you and through you. And for you to become this embodiment of unconditional love. Okay, this is all. I'm talking like I'm telling you what it is. I'm telling you what I believe, okay? So, you know, you are here to bring, to allow source to work through you 
to provide for you. Your life, your lives are meant to be peaceful and joyful and fun and loving and kind. But we have let, uh, in the last 150 years or so, we have let our egoic minds take control of the world and take control and, and trap us in these um, beliefs about the ego. And we have succumbed to societal norms that um, are telling you to sprint when really you should be kind of walking at a slow pace. And so we, the dynamics of what's going on at the moment, we have, we have been driven to the point of self-annihilation, self-driven to the point of self-annihilation. There is an energetic dispensation of energy around the world right now, which is realigning. And um, the division in the future is not going to be between the wealthy and the poor. The division in the future is going to be in consciousness. It's going to be those that are awake and those that are not. Those that are awake and are connected back to source and are working to have source do its will in and through you will be kept in peace and plenty and love and joy and abundance. And those that wish to remain locked and in the dark uh, and believing that their body is their reality and these objects around them that are their reality, they will continue to create and manifest misery in their lives. And what we have... So when you think with electrical impulses in the brain, you feel with magnetic impulses in the nervous system, your thinking is a consciousness plan. Your magnetic impulses magnetize this blueprint of a future event or experience. So when you have a, a strong desire or emotion associated with these blueprints, what you do is you draw electrical particles, particles of energy together to at some point when that will manifest into a like event or like experience in your, in your life. And it may be two years, three years, five years, 50 years in the future that this stuff manifests. And all of these things come to you and they are a joyful, fun experience, or they are a car accident or an illness or an accident that you know hurts you or harms you in some way or an experience that you find quite negative. You are totally disconnected between what you're thinking that's creating and manifesting these forms that come, these rebound forms that come to your life. When you understand all of these mechanics and you understand how all of this works, then what you can do is you can make a conscious decision to start to unravel this and come back to being who you really are and identifying with the soul and a, and uh getting your consciousness cleansed and, and allowing it to get rebuilt in the, in uh, conformity with, with where we come from, or you can carry on living life as you do. It's, it's entirely your choice. You are given free will for a purpose. So Neil, yeah. So like, I appreciate that. Uh, and at the, at the, in the interest of, of trying to make, your teaching a little, a little bit more concrete and, and perhaps a little bit less abstract. You know, for me, I have explored many modalities. I've read many books and tried many different things on my, on my own journey. And I'm at the point now where I have very, I use a yardstick, which is, does this thing make my life better? And, and, and pretty quickly, right? Like does, does reading this book or does following the system or does, practicing this yoga posture, whatever it is, whatever it might be. I'm like, I want real world results because if it doesn't improve the quality of my experience here and now in this realm, in this body, then I'm not really that interested, right? Because I know, to me, that just seems like the most rational way to, to engage with spiritual things, right? Like how does it help here and now? So I'd, I'd like to know how has your life become better practically since you underwent this process? What and I'm not expecting an answer like, oh, I made X amount more money. Or I, I just, I'm, I'm just looking for like practically what, what, what is the, the difference in the nature of your experience as you move through the world? So, oh, so many things. Well, I went from being suicidal to being full of love, peace, and joy. I went from feeling hard done by to feeling totally prosperous and abundant. I went from judging people for what they do 
and what I perceive to be a bad thing to trying to bring love and joy to every experience and every event. And I no longer judge or criticize or demean anybody. You know, I went from being felt hard done by, by someone who maybe has come at me with, uh, you know, in kind of a nasty way to now understanding exactly how and why that they're behaving that way, not being upset about it, not letting it bother me in any way, shape or form, but trying to be an expression of unconditional love to them in that moment to try and help them wake up without telling them what to do or how to do it just being different in that moment. There's just, I could go through a, a, a whole host of things and, you know, stuff that's going on in the world right now. I know it's all according to a plan. I feel for all the Ukrainians that are stuck in this war that, you know, was brought to them. I feel for the Russians that are there, you know, committing whatever acts they're committing when, you know, they have probably been kind of brainwashed to think a particular way or they're there against their real will of, of they don't even believe what they're doing is the right to begin with. But that the consequence for them is heavy if they try and resist doing it. So I can feel for them too. So I view the world entirely differently than I did before. I'm not concerned about all the stuff that's going on. Everything is happening for a reason. There's these you know, Roe versus Wade, that's a horrible thing for all the, for everybody in the States. That's my opinion. You know, women should be able to make their own choice around these things. In my opinion, you don't have to agree with me, but you know, the, this kind of thing has created such divisiveness in your country, you know, and your politics are fairly, now our politics are divisive too, but we're not quite, <laughs> quite as divisive as you guys are in the States, right? So, I mean, all of these things are, uh, you know, events that are happening. And if you think that what you feed your body is important for your nutrition and health, and it is, what you feed your mind is more important for your overall health and welfare than what you feed your body. I, I totally believe that. I totally believe. I had a, an interesting experience uh, that I, I would like to share with you. You know, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're aware of the, the TV show Stranger Things. Oh yeah, I have. Yeah, yeah, I saw the first season. I think. Yeah. Yeah. So I, look, I, I watched Stranger Things over the years. It's it's been out. It's had four seasons now. It started, I think, five six years ago, and I don't think I'm probably as far along as you, but I most of the time I'm very happy and grateful, and I vibrate at a high frequency. You know, I, I with a few exceptions, like what I discussed at the beginning of the conversation. Generally, I'm a, a very happy, centered person, and I, for the last couple of weeks, I was just feeling really crappy. I was just not myself. A lot of people in my life noticed that, that I was just not the, the content, peaceful person that I usually am. And I couldn't figure it out. I was questioning like, okay, is it because I've changed something in my diet? Is it my sleep? What is it? And I realized it was because I was watching Stranger Things. And look, it's a great show. It's hugely entertaining, but it is... You know, it's in this container of some very dark stuff, right? There's I don't, the, the latest the latest season is, is very gory. It's very violent. It's very somber. And I realized that it was affecting, I was feeding my mind with that thing and it was actually affecting the way I felt about the world and the way I moved through the world. And as soon as I stopped watching it, it was like a cloud had lifted from me. Now I know that that to a lot of people listening, they'll say, "Oh, you just don't have a strong mind, and you've got to really like, you know, stop being so impressionable." But when you when you walk down this path, when you start cleansing the mirror of your mind, it really does become very important what you reflect in that mirror, or what you're allowed to reflect in that mirror. So I totally agree with you. Yeah. So you know. Um... You know, we program our mind with these things that we believe to be right or wrong, good or bad, true or false. And really, you know, everything that we believe to be right or wrong, good or bad, true or false is really just a belief. And uh, what we pay attention to and what we keep feeding our mind reinforces these patterns of thinking and feeling. And so, you know, the, the news you read, the TV you watch, the movies you watch, you know, all that, the stuff you talk about with other people, 
all these things reinforce this pattern of thought. And when you understand these mechanics of the universe and how everything you think you will end up manifesting something in your life individually and collectively. And when we are collectively feeding you know, a vast majority of people in our country and around the world with negative stories in the news and, you know, horrific movies that, you know, kind of portray murder and killing and denigration and revenge. It's these kinds of things that people think about that keep them awake in the night, that wake them up in the night. I tell you, I sleep like a baby every night. I don't have, there's, I don't wake up worried about anything. I wake up in the morning entirely peaceful every morning. I no longer have any negative thoughts about things. And when I do, then, you know, if, if something comes up, I recognize it immediately when something comes up that's in contravention to unconditional love. And then I, uh, how can I bring love and healing to this? How can I? Ensure it's something that I'm not hanging on to, that I'm not reinforcing, that is against, you know, kind of the way I want to be. I want to express unconditional love to everyone and everything. And I'm a work in progress. Hey, you know, it's easy to fall out of this stuff. It's easy to let the ego jump in and, and take over and respond in a situation. But now when my ego gets control of me in a situation and I'm letting it run control, I can stop and go, wait, this is all just egoic responses. I don't have to feel harmed or hurt or upset or bruised, let my ego feel bruised around this. It's like, what can I learn from it? How can I bring love to it? And know that that person that I feel has, you know, harmed me or perpetrated something in a way against me, it's just, it's my perception of it. I don't have to perceive it that way. It's entirely my choice. And so I go through these processes of just, you know, bringing love and peace and healing to that. And as you do that, you become this beacon of light and you, you create an area of wholeness on the earth that will not change. And as you do that and more and more people come together to do this work, this inner work for themselves, because you can't shop it out. You can't hire anybody to do it. You got to do it yourself. But it, as more and more people do this, we will eventually bring this world into a new era of love and peace. And that's our goal. I believe that's our goal is to bring this world into a new era of love and peace. We should be supportive of each other and, and uh, helpful to each other. No, I, I believe it. I, I think uh, I have a, a close friend who, one of my best friends, actually, we, we, we have this discourse and it's, it's, um, it's, it's a disagreement more than anything. You know, he, he is a, one of the most enlightened people I know. And his, he carries very heavily on his heart and on his shoulders, this belief or perspective that, you know, the world is, is, is going to come to an end. We're going to destroy ourselves through our own egoic thinking and our own limited animalistic desires and the, the inherent bugs and flaws within our psychology. He says the world is, is going to end unless consciousness saves us. And for him, he's always like, we've got to do more. I've got to do more. I've got to, I've got to save the world. And, and to me, it's difficult because when he, when he talks to me about it, I, it lowers my frequency. I start getting, I start feeling heavy. It doesn't make me feel good. It makes me feel not good. Right. Because it, I don't know. I, I can't really get to, he, he says like, you, you've got to catch fire. You've got to want to like go and change the world. And I, I just don't feel any desire to do that. I, what I feel a desire to do is just become as spiritually clean and refined and happy and healthy within myself. And then that will expand out to the people in my immediate vicinity and help them to do the same and then help others do the same. And then eventually it'll come a point where the tide will shift. But yeah, does that make sense? This, 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 uh, yeah. I mean, I'd, I'd love to hear your perspective on that. So, Wherever anybody is on their path of uh, spiritual awakening is right for them. <laughs> so that's the first. And you will have contrary, you know, expect to have some contrary views around these things. So I believe that, you know, you need to work on yourself. And as you become this purified, open and purified channel of the divine, bringing unconditional love to everybody and being this beacon of life, 
you will be imperceptibly helping heal people that are around you and other things that are around you and helping them to wake up to begin their own path and their own process. There will be some people, like you said, like they feel they catch on fire. But I can tell you, if that's sucking energy out of you and dropping your vibrational frequency, then that's not a place you want to be. So you don't have to adopt, and I don't have to adopt the, and neither do you, anybody else's energy around, oh, we've got to get out and do this. If it's not feeling right, then it's not right. So don't do it. You know, if it's right for them, let them do it. You know, and who am I to judge what's right or what's wrong? I can only work with myself. I can only change myself. It's not my role to change anybody else. I agree with you. I think the argument he makes is that strategy of just saying, okay, look, this doesn't make me feel good, so I'm not going to engage with it. What if we get to a point where, you know, the society is collapsed because too many people did that and not enough people actually sat and dealt with the discomfort of like, hey, we're fucking this thing up. We've got to take radical action, right? We've got to make some stands, right? And his argument is like, yeah, this stuff is uncomfortable. It's not supposed to make you feel good. It's uncomfortable. It's unacceptable. We have to fix it, right? And we can't just go and sit around the fire and sing Kumbaya and hope it's all going to fix itself. I mean, that's that's the argument he and I have together. And I, I, I see both perspectives. I see yours and I see his. And uh, so, so let me ask you this question. So let me ask you this. Let's just, let's just say that we do self-annihilate. So what? This body isn't your reality. Your soul is your reality. We have destroyed planets before, <laughs> you know, in other, other lifetimes. So what does it matter? It's not your reality. You're here to learn a lesson. You're here in this manifest. This is not real. This is just a hologram. Now, we won't do that because we are on this path to awakening. And I firmly believe that. But it's going to get a lot. It's going to look a lot worse for people. And it's going to seem a lot worse for people because things that were put in motion 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago from a collective perspective must come into manifested form. It is the law of cause and effect. And so things are going to get a lot worse before they get better. But that's okay. Your, I believe, our purpose is to be the eye, the calm, the eye of the storm in the storm that surrounds us and to help people see things differently when, you know, the shit hits the fan, if you will. <laughs> if you can be this beacon of light, if you can be calm and serene and express unconditional love, you will be able to help people through this transition. Yeah, makes sense. But, you know, hey, you have free will. You can believe what you like. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm still, my uh, my perspective is constantly shifting. I'm, I'm constantly reformulating my my beliefs and my my opinions around it. And I think it's, it's actually a point of contention with he and I because we have such a close friendship and he really believes this is the most important thing. And, and I understand why. I, and I, I agree with him. I, I think we have to change as a species. We have something has to give or else things, as you said, things are going to get really bad. And yeah, anyway, anyway, I'll, I'll leave that there. I'm going to read your book, Neil. I'm going to read it. Probably on, I'm going to start right after this, this show. I'm very excited in, in learning more about the seven step process. I want to have you back on the show, but we're, we're running quite short on time. So in the meanwhile, where, where can listeners go to find out more about, about the book? I'm sure they can get it on Amazon, but, but where, if they want to find out more about your, your work and, and who you are and what you do, where's the best place for them to go? Uh, so the best place is my website. It's dneilelliot.com, but uh, an easy way to get there is ahigherroad.com. And the book's available globally wherever books are sold uh, in print or in ebook form, Kindle, Apple, Nook, Kobo. And yes, you can get it on Amazon pretty quickly, actually. And Amazon awesome. actually is prov provides a discount on the uh, print copy. So excellent! I appreciate you for shining a light, and um, I, I really look forward to speaking to you again soon. Yeah, well, me too. And uh, yeah, well, and I hope you enjoy the book and know that I'm introducing you to everything, but you still got to do the work. <laughs> yeah, uh, <laughs> I appreciate objectives, and I also. I understand what he went through. I wouldn't say I was ever suicidal in my life, but I've had a couple of points like all of us have where I've been extremely low and 
the things that I was using to navigate through life. And my predictive models just stopped serving me. And I think that life actually, it takes you to those points when you're not listening or when you're out of alignment or when you're doing the wrong thing or that, or you're, you're following a map that no longer serves you. I think that's one of the ways it slaps you to wake you up. And it was interesting to hear about Neil's version of that particular process. Just to remind you guys, if you want to come on that life-changing jiu-jitsu and well-being retreat, head on over to coachnickg.com forward slash retreat and you can book your place right there. Hope you guys are enjoying the shows. I'm sure you've noticed I've been a bit more irregular with getting them out. And uh, I've got a lot of exciting guests coming up for you in the future. Until next time, remember, we're all alone in this together. 